Greetings, listeners. You found hope. This is the Bridge to Hope podcast, Finding Hope. I'm Melissa, and this is Cultra. Today, we are going to talk about mental health since this month is Mental Health Awareness Month, and mental health plays an integral role in our work. Today, we will be interviewing Gary Johnson, a mental health professional and former board member for the Bridge to Hope. This may be a sensitive topic to discuss, so please stop listening when you need to and practice self-care. We also want to mention that for this episode, we recorded with Gary outside, so you may hear the occasional passing car, some birds singing, and of course wind. A helicopter even flew by. Hi Gary, can you explain your background in mental health? Sure. Well, I graduated with my BA in uh, sociology and psychology, and then I did a variety of jobs in mental health. I was uh, also a group home supervisor in Minneapolis, and I also was a Head Start director and a Head Start teacher for a while. And eventually I got into the work with schools, and that was 15 years in St. Cloud, Minnesota, and then I came here for 20 years. And then I retired from the school system, and uh, prior to coming here, I had to get my master's degree in social work in order to get the licensure here in Wisconsin. So I did that, and uh, then uh, I served as a school social worker for 20 years, and then I retired, and then I spent three and a half years or so as a mental health therapist at the Aurora Community Counseling over here. So I worked with kids and with adults and families and variety of settings. And, and so I used my master's degree in social work to do that. What kind of words or language should we be using when discussing mental health and mental illness? That was an interesting question when I saw that. Um, I come from a perspective when I, and from 1996 on, I was bringing information here to the community through the school system about resilience. And then there's a best practice model called health realization. And the resilience research says that we are born innately mentally healthy. Everyone, not just some people, not men or women not black or white, uh, it's everyone is born innately mentally healthy. And so that's the premise that I, w- I work from. And so when people see themselves as mentally ill or mentally not healthy, then it just is saying that that health is still within them, but it's not being accessed at that particular time. And there are circumstances in their life or some genetic stuff with brain chemistry that is affecting their state of mind. And, and so they're challenged by that. But my belief is, and the res- research with resilience points to the fact that that core of health remains no matter what happens. Now that I'm retired, I also go into the uh, Dunn County Jail and work there to teach that basic understanding to inmates and and so it's it's there's all kinds of circumstances that happen to people but it's when they're reminded that that health remains no matter what 
mistakes they may have made or bad decisions or what's happened to them that when they're reminded that health remains, it's, it seems to be a relief. And that's my focus is, is bringing that sense of hope and relief to people. So when you ask the question about mental health or mental illness, it's really that the health is always there, but the illness can happen. So there are things that need to be done to address that. Is that what people mean when they say the term mental health? Would you say those concepts apply in the same way? I think so, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, the, the health is always there, but there are times when it's just like you break a leg. It doesn't mean that you're not the same human being you were, but your leg is broken, and it needs to be t attended to in the same way when we're mentally struggling and our state of mind is not good for whatever reason, then it either is a biological thing going on with brain chemistry, or it might be circumstantial situations where we find ourselves in difficult situations that, that then we are out of that health for the time being until we can regain whatever is needed to get back into a healthy state. Why is it important that people are aware and understand what mental health is? Mm -hmm. Well, there's so many challenges in the world right now, and uh, so we need healthy people to interact uh, appropriately and caringly and uh, to make sure that the rest of society is, is supported. And uh, so it, we can't do that if we're not healthy and mentally. And so that's, I think, core reason why it's an important thing for everybody to be conscious of and to, to do that whatever they can within themselves to be healthy and to support their families and the people around them. How common is mental illness? Yeah, I got some information off the internet that basically says that mental illness affects one out of five adults and that uh, mild to severe mental illness affects 18% of the population of adults. So that's how prevalent it is. And there are circumstances in our, you know, right in the last number of years, the stress level has gone up with COVID and the political world. And so many stressors are affecting people's state of mind. And, and that's, it's taking a toll on on anxiety levels and depression and those kinds of effects. You mentioned how different stressors in our life, like politics or COVID, can impact us. Um, you also talk about being innately mentally healthy. Mm -hmm. uh, so how do things like anxiety and depression develop? Yeah. As I said, that um, at least the research indicates that we are born, all born mentally healthy, and that it's an innate thing. But it becomes uh, a challenge when the circumstances in our lives get to that point where it gets overwhelming and, uh, 
and again the the possibility of in some there are some genetic issues sometimes with families that have a predisposition for certain things like i'm bald so my family was predisposed to baldness and uh and so that's just a reality so i've coped with that and and then this is kind of the same thing with mental health issues it's it's you find ways to to deal with whatever is affecting your ability to get through life, I guess. How does mental health impact men and women differently? Yeah. Any mental illness, the the rate of females is about 24.5%, and for males it's 16.3%. That's just... And that's, that's how they've been labeled or identified. Um, and so, of course, we know that women tend to seek out some support when they need it. And men tend to tough it out and be tough about things. And so that these numbers might not reflect reality as much as they're being reported or seeking help and that kind of thing. What are your thoughts when somebody says that they're not depressed, they're just having a bad day? Um, how can you help somebody who is maybe in denial about their mental health and how it impacts their day-to-day functioning? Right. I have this analogy that it's like when you go to an apartment building and you get on the elevator and then you go up to the 10th floor and then you get down to the sixth floor, and you go back up to the seventh floor, and then you go down to the basement. And that's kind of how moods work, our natural mood thing. It just We fluctuate all the time in our, in our moods. But when we end up with a, more of a clinical depression, we would be exiting and in the basement and getting off the elevator and not getting back on. So we just stay in that situation and that low mood or depression and uh, so that's when you need to seek out some support because you want to get back on the elevator and get back up again it's sometimes very difficult when you're depressed so what kind of advice can you give to people coping with mental health challenges I think I would say is find people you trust and that you know care about you and then have the courage to tell them about what you're experiencing. And um, and hopefully you can find some professionals also besides family, friends, and, and uh, family members, but having some true professionals to be able to work with. And, to, and it, a lot of times it begins with going to your medical doctor and finding some insights that they may have about what you're describing, but having the courage to explain it to someone that you trust and then uh, you know, just follow through as best you can with whatever advice you get. This is probably a, a very debated question, um, but meds or therapy, is either one of them better than the other? Oh, yeah, it's it's always usually a com- combination of both. And, and there's a need to, even though we're, I believe that we are innately mentally healthy, that there are times, just like when you break your arm or something, you need to go to the doctor and get some pain meds or 
whatever treatment for that condition. And the same thing would apply for mental health, is that sometimes talk therapy can, just having the chance to express what your concern is. One, I've heard that 70% of the benefit from talk therapy is just expressing what it is that's bothering you and being able to have someone really listen to you deeply. Um, that can really make a difference. But then sometimes it's it's also needed to have some medication to, to treat whatever's going on. The, the brain, you know, depression is a serotonin thing, and so having something to help with that is sometimes necessary too. So usually, it's, and you, again, that's why a trusted professional is really helpful because then they can help you navigate that question of meds versus other types of therapy. Do you suggest exercise to help with your mental health? And how does exercise affect it? For people that are depressed, for sure, that there's a benefit. And there's a combination of dopamine and endorphins that are affected by our physical exercise. And the benefit of that, it just helps lighten your mood and it makes things feel a little bit better. And and just getting some physical exercise it helps your body. And uh, it's a, just a really a benefit in a lot of different ways, really. But And if you're outside, especially, nature is huge as far as just being outside. And then nature can really help with their state of mind in general. Can you explain how mental health and substance abuse can kind of go hand in hand and what causes them to intersect? It usually starts out with a, a feeling of not being doing well and being out of your health and uh, hurting. And, and there's usually a certain amount of innocence in people beginning to use, use substances. And they find that it really helps with their mood initially until, you know, after getting into it for a while, then the mood is harder to lift, even with the chemical, and then it becomes a kind of a guilt thing, and they feel guilty for using, and they get into trouble, and that it's a downward cycle until there's some awareness about the fact that there is other ways to like exercise, ways to, to lift your mood, and uh, to be able to feel better uh, without using a substance. So, but in the meantime, the substance use can be a real downward spiral and uh, a real trap. So tell me a little bit about why people can't just decide to be better. Yeah, just because in certain cases, like brain chemistry issues, for instance, depression is a, is a serotonin uh, challenge in the, our brains. Our brain chemistry is such that the serotonin level goes down, and um, if it's you can't just make that happen. This would be the same thing if I was a diabetic. I wouldn't, you know, people wouldn't just say, "Well, just get over it." They, they would suggest that I go to a doctor and get some insulin because that's necessary. In the same way with brain chemistry issues with like depression that would be it would 
it wouldn't make sense to ignore the possibility of getting some help. Having a bad day is one thing. We all have that, and our moods go up and down, but there are times when it's just, it becomes clear, and there are some signs that we know that it's not not getting any better, and it's time to get some help, and that might include medication. How does mental health and trauma or abuse intersect? When someone has experienced trauma, that is not their choice, that usually. They, they may be in situations where it could be dangerous and that kind of thing, but, but essentially, when someone has been traumatized, it's not their choice, really. And the, the end result is that they end up feeling depressed or anxious or there are lots of reactions to that trauma. But that is kind of how it works. It it starts out with a a traumatic experience of some sort, either emotional or physical or situational in some way. The end result is that it affects our state of mind. In some cases, it can really get to a more of a brain chemistry kind of a thing. So so the trauma and uh, mental health are real closely linked. And how are we supposed to treat someone with depression or anxiety? Yeah, and there's, you know, the professional treatment world that would say that, you know, talking through things on, and uh, maybe some medication would be necessary. But for a family member or a friend, how do I treat someone who is in that has that uh, condition, it would be trying your best to understand that illness or that challenge that they're experiencing and then to be patient with that person and and try to encourage them to move forward in their life, but at the same time, not just say, you know, just get over it kind of thing, because that, that doesn't help at all. So it's really being encouraging and understanding and educated about the condition and doing your best to stay with that person until they get the help they need, really. Especially if it gets really, you know, in difficult suicidal situations. You cannot leave someone in that situation. So you need to tell them that you're going to get some help with them and and go with them in that way. And then... PTSD can be quite common among uh, trauma and abuse survivors. Can you explain to us what PTSD is? Yeah, it's again, that's uh, part of that trauma thing. Um, and so when someone has been exposed to a traumatic experience, um, it affects us in lots of different ways. I I think my wife would be okay with me giving you this example. She was driving our car down by our, by our home. And in her rearview mirror, she saw a milk truck following her, and she put on her signal and turned left, and the truck just plowed into her and spun her around and threw her into the ditch. And she survived it, but every time we went by that spot on that road near us, she would get really tense. And so it's, it's this fight-or-flight part of our brain um, that is affected in traumatic experiences. And post-traumatic stress then is when we go back over that, by that same situation and 
travel the same road or whatever it is, or that if something triggers the memory or it just, and it's not something intellectual at all. She understands she survived and she was okay, but it still causes the reaction in the same way with people who have had, you know, just terrible experiences with other people and have been traumatized through that. Triggers can come from lots of different ways. Um, it's seeing, like right now with what's going on in Minneapolis, the, the people that have experienced that kind of trauma in their own lives, uh, being African-American, and seeing the, the video over and over again, it's bringing up those same feelings. And it's again, it's this fight or flight thing. It's not something we choose to to react that way. We don't want to react that way, but it's just happens. It's very physical. And so it takes a long while. And, and eventually it gets easier, I think. The triggers aren't quite as difficult. It's, it's very much of uh, our bodies are reacting to stimulus and that we have some understanding about it and uh, that helps, but there's, it's still there. It's a challenge, but there is always hope. There's always hope and there's ways for it to heal. Can you tell me what are the different signs and symptoms of mental illness? A lot of signs and symptoms. Uh, anything that really deviates from your normal kind of feelings and behaviors. Maybe you are eating more or eating less, if, and or maybe you're sleeping more, or maybe you can't sleep. Things that change in our in our bodies and our functioning. Um, it might be withdrawing from relationships. Could be. Um, not wanting to go out, maybe wanting to just stay isolated. Um, anything that really is not person's normal kind of behavior would be an indication that something is different. And then it's also a matter of time because, as we know, that our moods go up and down all the time. But it's just if they stay stuck in a certain mood, then it's time to explore that, find out more, maybe find a trusted friend and say, you know, this is what's going on with me. And do you know of somebody that you feel like I could go talk to or, you know, that kind of thing to be exploring those kinds of possibilities. Is there a way to prevent mental illness from happening? Um, is there a way, what's the best way to help your mental health or make it so that you don't become mentally unhealthy or mentally unwell. Yeah. I think being educated about how we operate as human beings is a really good thing. And that's the work I've been doing for the last 25 years here in Menominee. That, you know, just a real quick synopsis of what I've come to understand is that we're thinkers. We create our experience of life with our thinking. And that our senses, uh, the fact that we're awake and conscious, brings to life whatever our thoughts are. And so <clears throat> that's kind of how we make sense of the world. It just that's moment to moment. Our thoughts take us in different directions. And then there's a third 
principle uh, is that we are connected to some common sense and wisdom, just naturally, that we all are connected to that. And that when we quiet down, when our thinking slows down, um, it's easier to notice new ideas and new insights about how to handle situations. If there's a problem coming up in your life, it's probably best, I used to just kind of grind away at trying to figure it out intellectually and, and try to, you know, come up with a list of pros and cons. And, and ultimately, I found that the best thing I can do now is to notice my thinking, notice how full my head is with thoughts, and try to slow it down and to quiet my thinking. Some people meditate, some people pray, some people go out in nature, some people ride a bike, some people do whatever it is. There's many ways to quiet our thinking. But ultimately, we have the capacity to have new insights. As I go talk to the guys and gals out at the prison, uh, the jail, I talk about that as an alternative to doing things the same way that has gotten them where they are now. And there is a possibility of a new way to do things. Just noticing when I'm getting tense or I'm getting frightened that that's probably not a good time to make a big decision. And that's usually when horrible things happen in real life where people harm each other or do something destructive. And it's usually when we're stressed out like that. So we are able to notice the amount of thoughts that are going on. And, and uh, if we have a sense of peace about things, then we, are, we feel pretty confident that our decision-making is at a good place. And we're more able to trust our thoughts and insights. My goal would be to have as many people understand that and feel confident in their ability to make good decisions and to enjoy their lives and be at peace with themselves and other people, that that is a foundation for mental health. Who can I go to for help? And are there any free and affordable resources for mental health in the area? The Dunn County Behavioral Health Department has sliding scale uh, services there. All, re all types of mental health support can be offered there at the Human Services Department. And so that's one good place for if there's income issues. Um, and then I know at Aurora we had a sliding scale so that depending on the amount of income someone had there, that, that would be taken into account for the amount that's charged. And I know that the Stout has some support that's very low cost, um, and it's for, it's for pretty much anyone to come in there, but it's offered by graduate students, and uh, they're supervised by staff and faculty there. But uh, So that's a, a lower or no cost available to service as well. Those would be the main low-cost ideas I would have. Um, then there are some groups offered from time to time, and, you know, like I offered a class on this understanding that I've been talking about to the community through um, 
through the health done right. And that's the other thing I wanted to bring up is that going to that website, health done right, is um, there will be resources of all types, and mental health is one of those resources available on that list. And uh, they're getting a very large database developed. It's not quite finished yet, but it's in the works and it should be out within the next month or two. So, yeah, health, the D U N N, done counting, health done right. One of the things that we talk about in each episode is our self care. So, how do you practice self care for yourself? Yeah, for myself? Or, oh, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, basically, I just enjoy my life. I have, I, my wife and I live on a little hobby farm, and we have a dog and a cat. And uh, I take the dog to the dog park every morning, and I hang out with my friends there. And Emma hangs out with her dog friends, and so and I get exercise and sunshine, and uh, so that part is good. And and then the normal things of eating well as best I can, and getting rest, and and uh, yeah, and just practicing this whole thing about uh, doing what I can to have a quiet mind most of the time. And that then when things do come up, I can handle them as they come and uh, don't get too overwhelmed. Although I must say that this pandemic and the uh, and the political world has really, it really has uh, been difficult for many of us. To, and there's got to be lots of people stressed out and in the middle of it all, but again, I think it's self-care is the idea of of just noticing our state of mind, just being aware that um, I can't be doing anything to uh, I shouldn't make any big decisions right now. Uh, I yeah don't want to go out and try to buy a car today. I need to just be quiet and just maybe spend more time outside today. That kind of thing, just so the noticing is really a critical part, just being aware of our own state of mind, and then uh, take steps to address it. Before we go, we also want to give a huge thank you to Gary for coming in and interviewing with us. I think it is safe to say that both Alyssa and I uh, learned a lot from our conversation. Uh, and we really appreciate it. Thank you, Gary. Thank you so much for talking to us, Gary. What are you doing for self-care this month, Coltra? For self-care this month, I've really been trying to get outside and do some gardening, clean up the yard, pick some weeds. Um, it sounds like work, but I actually really enjoy it. So it really helps ground me. Um, yeah, I just like being outside too. What about you, Alyssa? What are you doing for self-care? I think I might meditate more. It definitely helps me calm me down before the day begins. Next time you hear from us, we will be talking to Kat, our campus advocate at UW-Stout. June is Pride Month. We hope you have gleaned your own bit of hope from our discussion today. Take care. Thanks for stopping by there's this core of health is pure love and that's who we really are and that if we can just 
settle into that, that mode of being, things tend to work out well. <laughs>